morning, church. God not only gave us a wonderful song, He gave us all wonderful lives. He didn't say amen to that. You don't think you have a wonderful life? We have wonderful lives. We are blessed. We are blessed beyond compare. We are blessed, some say, beyond or more than we're, better than we deserve. That's what it is. We're blessed. Thank you, God. Church, let's say thank you to God. Thank you, God. God is good. It is great to see you here this morning, both members and visitors alike. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for being here this morning and worshiping God with us today. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for all that you've done and for all that you do and for all that you will do for us and to us that you blessed us with. Hallowed be your great and amazing name. We give unto you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Lord God, thank you for Jesus, your great Son, in whom you sent to die on that cruel cross of Calvary, who willingly came to live and sacrifice his life that we might live. For all that you did and have done is for our salvation through your grace and your mercy. And for that we are ever thankful and ever grateful for what you've done. We pray, Lord God, as we worship you this morning, Heavenly Father, that our worship will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, that all things that will and have been said and done will and have been pleasing unto thee. Thank you so very much for all that you've done. In Jesus' holy and precious name we do pray, and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. Please turn to Second Chronicles chapter 9. We are still continuing on this uh, subject of Jesus Christ revealed to us. And I just love the fact that um, he's revealed to us in so many different ways, time and time and time again. And I want us to look quickly at Solomon. Last week we talked about, and everything, everything we think about with Solomon usually are the great riches that he has. But today, let's look at Jesus and Solomon and the great wisdom that God gave to him. So, Second Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 22. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the kings of the earth were seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put into his heart. So Jesus, turn please to Colossians chapter 2. Jesus says, one greater than Solomon is here. Not in riches necessarily, although he was full in riches. But how about in wisdom? In wisdom. In Colossians 2, beginning at verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on behalf of, and though, and for those who are in Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Turn to Romans for just a moment, chapter 11. Can you imagine the depth and the power of that passage? That all the wisdom is in Jesus. 
All of the knowledge is in Jesus. So where should you put all of your mind, heart, soul, and strength? Yeah, put it into Jesus, right? Into Jesus. So the text says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. They came from miles to hear Solomon speak. How often do you read to hear Jesus speak? Isn't that amazing? One greater than Solomon is here. And then First Chronicles goes on to talk about, uh, let's go to Ezra, please, chapter 9. Uh, the, the genealogy, right? That genealogical trail that brings us to Jesus, from, from Adam to Jesus, and from Jesus backwards, because Jesus is everything, but Jesus is our all and our all. Jesus. Jesus matters in all of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 3 forward. God gives us this great seed promise. He gives a seed promise to the world, the seed promise through Abraham, and it continues on. That seed is precious and powerful because the seed is Jesus Christ. And so since the seed is Jesus, the lineage of Jesus matters to us. In fact, in Ezra Chapter 9, it also mattered to them. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Now when these things had happened, or, excuse me, had been completed, the princes approached me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands, according to their abominations, those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, and they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed has intermingled with the peoples of the lands. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. That, that holiness of Jesus. Galatians, please, chapter 3. The importance of Jesus, the necessity of Jesus in our lives. God God changed, if you will, channeled history to ensure that the Messiah would be born for our salvation. In Galatians 3 and verse 15, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. And so that, that seed promise, John, please, chapter 2, that seed promise, that seed promise brings forth to us salvation. And that holy seed who came down, Jesus Christ, speaks of the building 
of the walls and the rebuilding of the temple that was destroyed, the walls that were torn down. And we see this, if you will, uh, typified in Jesus Christ when you go back to the book of Nehemiah. And we understand the book of Ezra as they came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. They were rebuilders of the temple. And Jesus makes this powerful statement in John 2 and verse 18. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, What sign do you show us, seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Go back please to Nehemiah chapter 13. The holy temple in which the presence of God would would dwell. And, And the question to them was, Would God dwell in a house made with hands? Well, God doesn't dwell in houses made or uh, built by human man, but or humankind. But God allowed this temple to be made as a prefiguring of the holy temple that we are and we have become through the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't just rebuilding the temple. It was also a foreshadowing of Jesus cleansing the temple. So so Nehemiah and Ezra are all about rebuilding the temple. But now let's look at Nehemiah as he speaks to the cleansing of the temple. Nehemiah 13, beginning of verse 4. Now prior to this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him where formerly they put the grain offering and the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. Tobiah, think, now imagine this. Imagine the, the boldness of Tobiah. <laughs> he has a room built for himself inside of the temple of God. That's how bold he was. He's like, God, we don't have room for you anymore. We're going to remove all this stuff, put it over here. I'm going to take this room over, and this room is going to belong to me because I'm so important. Verse 7. And I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it was very displeasing to me. So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. That's a bold preacher, isn't it? (laughs) He threw it all out, right? You have no place in here. And then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms. And I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I came in, and I cleansed, if you will the evil or the holiness, and I threw it out. A prefiguring of what Jesus will do. Turn to Mark chapter 11. When Jesus came to his house, to the house of God, he came there and he realized that they were living wicked lives and doing evil things. And what did he do about that? In verse 15, the Bible says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. 
And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. So Jesus comes and he cleanses that temple house. Luke chapter 4, please. Luke chapter 4. And so what we're, what we're looking at is we're seeing Jesus and Jesus' activities, if you will, and types and, and figures. We're seeing Jesus over and over again throughout the entire Old Testament. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. There the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus brought hope to a people who had no hope. Speaking of hopelessness, imagine, going back please to the book of Esther. Imagine being there in those days where Esther becomes queen. And there's an evil Haman who wants to destroy and annihilate all the Jews. For his own personal gain. And we see in the book of Esther that a great theme you could use would be God puts his people in key places to accomplish his will. And Esther is brought in as the queen. Esther and Mordecai go from being the lowly to the highest, if you will. Another prefiguring of Jesus Christ. But also in there we find the preservation of of the Jews through the queen and through Mordecai. Chapter 3 and verse 13. And letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children. In one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. Chapter 4, please, in verse 13. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. So imagine, no one was safe. No one was safe. All had to depend on God. You know, without Jesus. Y'all get that. No one's safe. All of us have to depend on God. They came and they, they told the queen, you're not even safe in the king's palace. And then if you will, over in verse 14, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And certainly that was true. Chapter 10, please. Chapter 10. They were all going to be swept away. But God blessed them. And then the position changes from, from the lowliness to greatness. In verse 1. Now King Ahasuerus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the accomplishments of his authority and strength, and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? 
For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and in favor with the multitudes of his kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation or of the whole nation. So look at Jesus. Turn over please to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Look at Jesus on the earth. Think about, think about the horror that Jesus had experienced. The way people treated him. I mean, you read Matthew 27 and you get around about verse 26 and it starts talking about the crucifixion. It's already going into the persecution and it, you know, it starts out with even though Pilate knew he was innocent, he scourged him. It's hard to get past that verse. Because that verse took some time. You know, know, the Romans would beat you nearly to death. And that that verse took some time. So you hold up there for just a moment and you just, and you think about the Jews, um, 39 lashes was the maximum they would give anyone. So you start thinking about 39 lashes, but the Romans didn't follow that same rule. And you start listening in your mind to the, to the, the beatings of Jesus with that, with that whip, with that, with the horror and the terror with it. It takes a while to get through that. You just can't go from verse 26 to verse 27. But then you continue around the corner and you keep reading and you, and you get down about verse, I don't know, 30 or so, 28, and it, and it says, they put a crown of thorns on his head and they start beating him in the head and you, you get stuck there because you know that took some time. And by the way, in that same verse, they spat on him as well. It took some time. How horrible. But he went from a lowly servant to the greatest, to the Redeemer, to the Messiah, to the propitiation, the complete and only satisfaction of the Father. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The rejected Savior became the cornerstone and the pinnacle of life. Jesus. And through all of that, turn to Philippians, please, chapter 2. All that he went through for us. What an amazing gift and blessing we have received from Him. It's hard to get through that crucifixion if you read it and think about, put yourself there and witness it. It's hard to get through that crucifixion scene. But God, verse 9, the Bible says, Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning have you confessed his name? 
Have you confessed the name of Jesus and found in your heart the desire to surrender to Him in the waters of baptism for your soul's sake through Jesus and His blood? His name is so high that every name, every person will confess the name of Jesus and there's not a name on the earth that will ever surpass His. Jesus. And that Jesus, Job, please, the book of Job, chapter 19, that same Messiah, that same Jesus is the one whom Job, through all of his suffering and through all of his trials, called out to. In chapter 19, he is the one that Job believed in and Job trusted in. Job, with, with just a little understanding of God, even Job himself said, I heard of you, but now I know who you are in chapter 42. But Job says in verse 25, And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Job says, it's because of Jesus. Turn to Titus, please, chapter 2. It's because of Jesus that everything's going to be all right. I know you're saying, wait a minute. Well, he didn't actually say Jesus, but let me explain to you. That's the one he's speaking of. And brethren, we can say the exact same thing, that it's because of Jesus that everything is going to be all right. In life, in our struggles, in our trials, and in our tribulations, it's because of Jesus that everything is going to be all right. It's not because of me. It's not my strength or my might. It's not my greatness or my position. It's not my status. It's not me. It's Jesus. Because of Jesus, everything is going to be all right. Listen to what Titus says about Jesus. Titus 2. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good deeds. Who's going to redeem us? Jesus. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. We know that. Jesus is going to redeem us. And of course, over and over and over and over and over again, you read that Jesus is the great redeemer of mankind. But let's go back to Job for just a moment in chapter 42. Job chapter 42. And let's listen to one more thing that Job has to say. We're speaking of the idea and thinking about Jesus interceding for us. And we have this application where, Mo, where Job had to intercede for the people, for his three, his three friends. Verse 7. And it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, 
Job's best friend, right? Maybe not that, but God says this, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Can you imagine how much crow you had to eat if you were can you imagine being there and saying, well, no, no, I thought I was right, but no, you were so wrong. <laughs> My wrath is kindled against you, but not just you, also against your two friends. And not against Job, but against you three. Now, therefore, verse 8, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams don't you offer that to me. You take it to my servant Job. Listen to the text. It's just beautiful. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your Tony, I'll accept Jesus, but I will not accept you. You go to Jesus, and then I'll accept you. Get it. And he goes on to say, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And I want you to think for just a moment. What if Job refused to pray for his three friends? They would have no connection with God. Zero. But that's not what Job did. Because Job wasn't like them. Aren't you glad Jesus is not like us? Verse 9, the Bible says, So Eliphaz the Timonite and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nahathite, the Namathites, excuse me, went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. Okay, let's let's wrap this lesson up. Turn to Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven. Jesus intercedes for us. And maybe this morning there are things in your life and on your heart. And you need Jesus to intercede for you. If you're a child of God, you can pray to God. You can repent. You can ask God to forgive you. If you need more prayers, the prayers of the church, if you need us to help you, you can confess that, make that known to us. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. But it's Jesus who will intercede for us. The Bible says in verse 24, but he, on the other hand, in comparison to uh, other priests, but he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus. No one can go to heaven without Jesus. 
And that's crystal clear. Romans chapter 8. I know we've gotten confused, though, in the world, where we're starting to think maybe, well, these are good people, so maybe no one can go to Jesus or get to heaven or get to God without Jesus. He's the interceder for us. He makes intercession for us. He's the mediator for us. And He is the only Savior. The Savior of the world. Have you given your life to Jesus? We'll close in Romans chapter 8. Verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Satan will. The world will. But it's God. But it's God who's important. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. You could say he's the only one who justifies. Who is, in, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who has raised, or was raised, excuse me, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Jesus. I just want you to wrap your mind around Jesus. And if he has not been number one in your life, make him number one. And if people in your jobs are persuading you to become like them, I want you to go back to think about the whole world revolves around Jesus. It's always revolved around Jesus. He's got to be your number one. And if he is not your number one, you've got to change your priorities, brethren and friends. He has to be number one. The lesson is yours. Thank you for your time this morning. If you're struggling your faith and you would like help, if there's anything we can do or someone can do, please make it known to them or to us. But definitely make it known to God. As together we stand and sing our song of invitation. If we can help in any way, please come. Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort in a 